notch if you like good Christian music. Uh, the first song we sang today was from her. And I tell you, she's a Holy Ghost lady. She's a Nigerian believer. And uh, wow, anyway, go to Apple iTunes, wherever, and get her. Amen. She'll bless you. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, praise God, as we get ready to get in the Word, you ready to get in the Word? I am too, excited about it. Uh, I wanted to just put a goal before you. You know, in my life, one of the things God's taught me is when something's been a barrier to you, kind of a limiter, but try to touch it. Just touch it. You know, touch that barrier, burst through it, cross over, you know, do what you can, touch it. I've learned that that's a big key in expanding into new areas in prosperity. Like I've had brands I like. You may not care about it, but I didn't. I, I came across a brand named Tumi, T-U-M-I, I like it. And, but it's not cheap stuff, amen. And, uh, but I just, I just learned, so I touched I bought me. The first Tumi thing I ever had was a wallet. cost me $115. Now don't get mad at me because I bought a $115 wallet, all right? Praise God. And I had the money. I didn't lie, cheat, or steal for it, amen. And uh, I bought it. And so you just got acquainted. And then I reached out and I got that briefcase that my son stole from me. <laughs> and I gave it to him. See, I'm not attached to it. I gave it to him. But he was lusting after it. I didn't want him to commit a sin. So I just, <laughs> I gave it to him. Yeah, trying to help him. <laughs> uh, but you know, over the course of time, more to me stuff just started to show up. Like I got the, the Cadillac bag, suitcase bag to travel with. It just showed up in my office one day. Amen. And of course, God moved upon people and they get a blessing for that. But, uh, you know, as a church, I want to I get beyond the 200 mark in Sunday morning attendance. Amen. But we got we to gotta touch it, keep touching it and break through it. And we have a good opportunity coming up on the 22nd as we have our Christmas service. And I would encourage you, be loyal to this congregation if you're not traveling out of town and start inviting people. Start inviting people. We're going to have special music, a lot of special elements. I'm going to be real sweet that day. I'm going to be on my best behavior. Uh, unless the Lord does something different, praise God. And uh, uh, hallelujah. And I've already got some people that I've got on my heart I'm going to be inviting. And uh, let's do 200 before 2020. How about that? And uh, so praise God, believe with me and get out there and invite. Not so we could have an attendance number only, but those are people. Amen. Those are people. Uh, and uh, they need Jesus. Amen. And we're going to give them Jesus best we can. Praise God. Well, as I was praying, seeking God, meditating, I've had a message uh, rolling around in me for uh, a while. Uh, I preached it actually uh, this last August in Mexico City, Mexico. I was in the, what, what floor did we stay on back there? Was it 12? Somewhere, 12, 10th, 11th, on the, in the St. Regis Hotel. My, my, my. Mm -mm -mm. I'm going back in March. Can't wait. But uh, uh, anyway, and uh, Dr. Jacobs had asked me to minister uh, that day uh, or on a certain day. And I was honored to do that and was praying. And God began to deal with me about this message. And I preached it there. Then I had an opportunity to go to the Bible school in California, and I taught it there, a version of it. And then I taught it in LaCenter, Kentucky, so I'm bringing it closer to home every time. But God's finally seemed to permit me to uh, share it with you. It's not so much going to be a teaching uh, or me preaching at you, but I'd just like to talk to you out of my heart. And uh, I would really like for you to hear me 
could I say, hear God, not just with your ears, but if I could talk to you from my heart, you would hear it with your heart. Amen. And if I could say it from my heart with God's help and you could hear it with your heart from God's help, that we could all be touched and, uh, and blessed and changed. Amen. And, uh, you know, getting December, I've been reading the, the gospel accounts uh, a little bit every day uh, about Jesus' birth. And uh, I wanted to start there. Uh, and so we're going to turn over to Matthew chapter 1. Is that where I told you that, right? Matthew chapter 1. And I'm actually going, mark it down, the date. I'm going to preach to you the begats for a minute. And, uh, and, but we're going to talk today, I'm going to talk to you about uh, leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. And in, contrary to what some people might think, I'm not out to be hard. And, um, and I don't want anyone to ever be condemned by anything I would say or preach. That's not what it's about. But I would like us to soberly take stock, take, take, a, take advantage today, and let's just, you know, you know, you know how old you are, you don't have to spout it out, I know how old I am, but you know what, no matter how old we are, we're going to blink our eyes a few more times if the Lord tarries His coming, it's going to be over. It's going to be over. James says that our life is but a vapor. It's just the, an exhale of a breath, and then our life here on earth is over. Don't let that depress you. But over in, uh, in, you're in Matthew, but over in Psalms, uh, I think it's 90 verse 12, the psalmist said, teach us, O Lord, to number our days, to number our days and that we might learn to be wise. And, you know, Proverbs is all about contrasting the fool, the foolish person and the wise person. Amen? And the foolish person lives haphazard. They don't think soberly. They don't use their God-given ability to project themselves out there to the end of their life and, and to see where are you headed and what's your life mean and how's it going and, and what's it, what are you going to leave behind when you're gone? Amen? And um, one of the things that the Lord, not to get ahead of myself, I'll come back to it, that the Lord told me uh, in prayer that day at the St. Regis, is that every life becomes a legacy eventually. Every life becomes a legacy eventually. And we actually have in the Christmas story, in the Gospels, Matthew 1, Luke 1, 2, we have these genealogies, right? And those are legacies. Those are names that are there for a specific reason. Now, because it comes out a lot easier in a different translation, I'm going to read this genealogy to you, Matthew 1, starting in verse 1 from the Good News Translation, the GNT. So it may sound a little bit different than yours. So it says, This is the list of the ancestors of Jesus Christ, a descendant of David, who was a descendant of Abraham. From Abraham to King David, the following ancestors are listed. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and his brothers. That's the twelve tribes. Then Perez and Zerah, their mother was Tamer, Hezron, Ram, Abinadab, Nishan, uh, y'all forgive me if I don't pronounce these all right, Solomon, Boaz, the mother, uh, his mother was Rahab, Obed, Jesse, and King David. From David to the time when the people of Israel were taken into exile in Babylon, the following ancestors are listed. David, 
Solomon. His mother was the woman that had been Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. Rehoboam, Abijah, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manessen, Amon, Josiah, and Joachim, and his brothers. From the time after the exile in Babylon to the birth of Jesus, the following ancestors are listed. Joachim, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, uh, Abiud, Eliakim, Azor, Zadok, Akim, Eliud, Eliezer, Eliezer, uh, Mathan, Jacob, and Joseph, who married uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So then there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile in Babylon, and 14 from then to the birth of the Messiah. Now, my board of directors is not here, but I think y'all ought to vote me in a raise for reading that list of names so accurately. <laughs> now, when I count that, that's 14, 14, 14. 14 times 3 is 42, if I got my math right. 42 generations from Abraham to the birth of Jesus. Amen? What I want to just open up with is this genealogy is an example of how God thinks and how God plans. Amen? And the way God thinks and the way God plans is so foreign to the Western mind and to the American mind. Now, God's not anti-American, but we just don't think like Him. Right? I mean, God is God. He's a sovereign. And if God has His way, we'd all be under a king. A righteous king. And we should be. Jesus is king. Amen. But here in America, we think independence. And don't, don't talk to me about what I can do. And I, I have my rights. And I get to vote. And thank God for those freedoms. Amen. But we have to check our democratic, individualist, pioneer, you know, wild, wild west mentality at the door when we come to church. Amen. And we exalt in our American culture individuality. Amen. And I'm not against that. Praise God. But it's, we're very susceptible to developing a really selfish, self-centered mindset about life. Amen. And then when you add to that, just living life as a human being in this day. Come on, anybody feel like you were ever running a rat race? I mean, oh my gosh, I just got this routine and I mean, here we go on Friday and I got, I'm going to go work for the man. I'm going to collect my paycheck and then I'm going to pay some bills and I might get a little rest, work in some fun in between, eat a few meals, kiss my wife on the cheek if I get to, and then start it all over again. Right? And then before long, what's going to happen? All your years are past. All your years are gone. And you're going to breathe your last and you're going to step over into eternity. Well, how does, that, how does, how does God think? Well, God thinks in ancestry. God thinks generationally. He plans generationally and He thinks generationally. You know, typically we don't, even here today in the West, we don't think of Abraham as a standalone person, do we? Isn't there a mental picture? There's supposed to be a word, two words that come next after Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have uh, many examples of Jesus, and we just read one. And what I want you to see here is that in the moment, 
any of these men or women that are in this genealogy live in their day, they did the same thing. They were unassuming. Think about Mary. She's just a teenage girl. You know, theologians say she could have been as young as 14 years old when the Immaculate Concept, when the Holy Spirit overpowered her and, and put the seed into her womb. Can you imagine that? And she's just a girl in Galilee. She's just an unassuming person. Uh, no name, no fame. She doesn't have a lot of Twitter likes. You know, nothing like that, right? The world wouldn't know her name. And yet, she's chosen, right? But she's really the end point, her and Joseph, of thousands of years of groundwork. You know, uh, the birth of Jesus is the fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of, of prophecies that are thousands of years old. Now what you see in Abraham, if you know anything about his life... God started, He initiated His plan to redeem mankind in a man named Abraham. Amen. He talked to Adam about it. He preserved the human race in Noah and the Noah's Ark and all of that. Other, there were other important people. But God specifically initiated, bam, hit the start button on His plan to, re, to get Jesus into the earth with a man named Abraham. And He put a very important baton in Abraham's hand. And he lived his life. He did what God said. And then he died. But before he died, he passed that baton to a man named Isaac, his son. And Isaac had a race to run. And he had a life to live. And then his life ended. And he passed that baton, amen, that assignment to Isaac or to Jacob, his son. And on and on down it goes. Now, every one of these men and women, no matter how unassuming, no matter, they probably didn't have big picture. But they had a part to play in getting Jesus into the earth. And every single one of these names, you may not know anything about more than half of those names, but they are all a vital link in the chain of events in God's plan to accomplish His purpose to get Jesus in the earth to save your tale and mine. Amen? God thinks generationally. Amen. Go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. And this is sort of the key scripture that he gave me in Mexico about this. Proverbs 23. <clears throat> Everybody doing okay? Now, i still got some time. I just turned 47. I've still got some time, but it's not likely that I'm going to be, I'd say the chances are less than zero, that I'm going to be a great military general and the history books will laud my victories and the empire that I built. Right? I expect to be extremely, extremely prosperous and blessed, but I don't know that I'm going to be, you know, a billionaire like the Amazon guy. And I'm certainly not very well known. That's really not what I'm after. And that's not what this message is about. You're probably not going to be any of those things either. Some of you think you're just all that if you've got 100 likes on a Facebook post. Now listen, life's more important than that. But what I do want to convey to you today, if I can, is that your life really matters. Your life really matters to God. Your life really matters to the plan of God. And you're probably more vital than you know. 
You know, I, I looked it up. I, wanted, I looked it up in several because I wanted to make sure. I, I, you know, you have to be careful about what you do research on the Internet, right? But I, I found it out from multiple sources, so the stat, there must be something to it, that the average human being, just the average, unassuming human being, who doesn't have any unusual platform or place of influence over the course of an 80-year lifespan, will influence in some significant way 80,000 people. 80,000. Just by you living, breathing, and going places, you are going to touch and affect on some level 80,000 people in your lifetime. Now you've got to ask, is that going to be for good? Is that going to be for God? Or am I... A, or, or bad. Let me just be real sweet about it. Or is it not going to be anything that anyone won't think about? Amen. So in, uh, let me get back to my starting place here. And I, I told you the wrong chapter. It's Proverbs 13 and then the verse is 23. So you have to flip back a few pages. Proverbs 13 and verse 22. And really just the first half of that verse. You'll recognize it. It says, a good man... Or you could say a good person, right? A good person leaves an inheritance to their children's children. Now, I fully understand. You don't need to write me an email. Catch me after service. That the strictest context of this scripture is financial, right? But I don't believe that God is limiting this verse to money only. In fact, uh, in God's mind, what you leave financially... Uh, it's not going to be nearly the most important thing you leave in your absence. And so what I wanted to, let's take out the word inheritance. I don't think we'll do the verse any injustice at all. It says a good man leaves a legacy. A legacy to his children's children. You know, if, if, in God's mind, if you and I impact anyone for good and for God, it's supposed to be our children and our grandchildren. And as these statements come up in my heart, I'm going to go ahead and get them out because I, I don't want to not say them over the course of the time we have. And um, you understand, Mom and Dad, that it is very, very unlikely that your children and grandchildren will love Jesus more than you do. It is very, very unlikely that your children will ever love God and, and be more committed to God, to the Word, to the church, to the mission, to the gospel than you are. Now, it can happen. And humbly, I would say that I might, I might be one. My dad loves Jesus a whole lot, you know. Uh, but if I were to measure, you know, I, anyway, I'll just stay off of that example. I'm not the judge God is. But it's just rare that your children are going to discover and love God and the truth and the Word of God more than you. You're, you are the one that's going to have the most influence on whether or not they grow up to care anything about God and His kingdom at all. Amen. And... What is going to be the legacy you leave spiritually to your kids and grandkids? 
You know, you're, you're telling them something when you stay home. You're telling them something when you neglect church. You're telling them something when you pick an extra shift over whatever. I mean, you're just telling them something. Maybe not verbally. And you're telling your kids something when you don't read your Bible at home. When they never see you pray. When they not see you making yourself a vital part of what God's doing in the earth today. And they're going to follow not what you say, they're going to follow what they see you do. Isaac learned how to operate in a covenant and how to live by faith by watching his daddy do it. And Jacob was able to take that baton, right? Now, uh, now some of these assignments through these lineages are crucial. You know, you think about the moment where God comes to Abraham and says, Hey, Abraham, he says, here I am. And he says, take thy son, thy only son. You know, the one I gave you, the one you stood 25 years for. Take him up upon a place that I'll show you and kill him. Offer him unto me there. You think about in the eyes of the link of that chain, had Abraham refused to do it. Right? Because this is a covenant transaction by Abraham, a man being willing to offer his son unto God. God in covenant response would have to now offer his son up also. Here's another statement that I've been thinking about off and on. and It's weighty as I preach these messages. Do you realize, do you see that the assignment on Abraham's life outlived him? That the assignment on Abraham's life was bigger than however many years he lived. And that the assignment on the the father, what God initiated with the father, passed to the son and to the grandson. Hallelujah. Should the Lord tarry His coming, amen, I'm raising up successors. The assignment on my life for ministry, should the Lord tarry His coming, will outlive me. God has already seen beyond my graduating to heaven. Amen. And there is an, and now Rex and my children, that doesn't mean they're supposed to be clones of me. They're not, God's not raising up clones. But see, the assignment. Rex shouldn't have to get a vision, fast and pray to understand in the absence of dad what the assignment would be. He's known it. We've been talking to him about it here, there, right? I have video of Dr. Ed Dufresne, prophet of God, holding this little baby up in his dedication saying, I'm holding a preacher in my hands. Now he can go out and try out and be an electrician. I'll let him if he wants to, but that's just not the assignment on his life. And all my children have ministry assignments on their lives. Why? Because they're part of God's ancestral generational plan. Now, I want to get this in too. Um, I looked up, Uh, In the dictionary, the word legacy, and I was blown out by the definition of the word legacy. You guys want to hear it? Maybe you'll be as impressed as I was. Okay, here's the Merriam-Webster dictionary, not translation, definition of a legacy. The dictionary defines a legacy as something transmitted. Now that word transmit just, man, it just blew me out there. A legacy, what is it? It's something transmitted. Remember what I said, every life becomes a legacy eventually. Well, I don't want to be a legacy. You're going to leave one. You're going to leave one. It may, it may stay, you know, be real foul, but you're going to leave a legacy. 
Amen. You know, I, I could go all different directions with this and just trust in God. But, you know, I stood up. My, my assignment at the Bible school was to talk about family and marriage. But I preached it from this legacy point of view at first. And do you know the statistics are, I mean, it's just astronomical. Amber and I, God has been so good to us because statistically, we have like a 200% higher chance of failing in marriage because we come from parents who got divorced. And why are the statistics so astronomically high? Because kids that saw it will repeat it. Kids that saw it will repeat it. Well, you've seen the abuse cycles. You've seen the alcoholic cycles. Sons and daughters drink and do drugs because mom and dad drink and do drugs. And that is some people's legacy. That is some people's legacy. is alcoholism, abuse, failure. Amen? And listen... If you're a product of that, you can get free. There's, there's power in the name of Jesus Christ, in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and the power of His Spirit to change the course of your life and the legacy that you were handed. See, a legacy is something we transmit, but we all are the recipients of a legacy. Right? And much of the legacy we receive is represented in obstacles that we have to overcome. Amen. So a legacy is something transmitted by or received from an ancestor, a predecessor, or, get this, the past. The past. The past transmits a legacy. Your past. We hope that God would intend that to be good. Right? It, it ought to have lit up, I'm sure it did, that Jacob is the descendant. Of Abraham. Right? It gave him identity. It, it gave him an example. Amen. Praise God. And there was an assignment on his life that was worth fulfilling and fighting for. Amen. Amen. You know the assignment on your life, I may not know what it is, but it's bigger than you. Amen. It's bigger than you. Should the Lord tarry his coming, that assignment is going to affect the kids you don't have yet. Amen. And the choices you and make that you make every day, those, those just regular choices about are you going to be a man and woman? Are you going to be a person of character? Or, or are you going to be a person of shadiness? Right? Are you going to be a person of purity? Or are you going to shack up before you get married? Right? These things you don't live, these things you don't do independent of yourself. Right? When you make a decision, good or bad, it's going to transmit something to your kids. Hallelujah. I know of instances uh, in my experience with uh, ministering to people who are hooked on pornography that children, that dads hid their, their pornography habit, never exposed their sons, but they still ended up in it. How did that happen? Because they may not have seen the magazine or seen you on the computer or on your phone, but you were transmitting that and it, it, got, on their, it got on your kid. You opened up the door to it. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that a lot of people misinterpret. Can I shine some light on it? Remember, we're just talking, right? I'm talking, you're listening. And, uh, but it's, it's way back there in Exodus, and it says that God in no wise acquits the guilty, but He visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. Now, many have picked that up and called that a generational curse. 
that don't do that. That's not a generational curse. You have to do some study. God is not cursing innocent children. So what is going on here that people have misunderstood? Well, it's all wrapped up in the Hebrew meaning of the word iniquity. It's not just another word for sin. The word iniquity means a fault, a weakness, or a crack. That's what it means. So right here in our region, we're, we're on the new Madrid fault. What's that mean? What's that mean? That the, the earth's crust has a crack in it. Is that right? It's got a crack in it. And where those are cracks, guess what? When pressure gets applied, you get an eruption, a, 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 a manifestation at that pressure point. So what God visits to the, because of the father's sins, right? Uh, mothers too, dears. Okay? You got it. People get so stuck on gender. It's the principle. What is visited upon future generations is the crack, the weakness, or the propensity to sin in a particular area. So what an iniquity is, is a fault line in a person's character. And so a drunk dad, and they got that weakness, that it's not the, the curse, they're definitely going to drink alcohol. It, that's not what's passed. The propensity, the weakness, the vulnerability. We create vulnerabilities in our children and grandchildren's characters by how we live today. Thank God for repentance. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the new birth. See, thank God for the power of God. Thank God for a second chance. Amen. But it is, it is, no, it is no surprise to me uh, the, the vulnerabilities that I have had growing up. They were the same ones my dad had, and my dad had the same ones my grandpa had. It's not a spiritual curse. It's a habit. It's a pattern. Amen. And thank God, like my dad did and like I've tried to do, we could stand up, praise God, and turn that whole thing around. Now, just my life is an example of the miracle that God can do. You know, uh, my, my dad and my mom were, were moral people, kind of. You know, they, didn't, they were never charged with a criminal act, let's say that. I'm not trying to disparage them. They paid their bills, but they, they, they didn't live the Word. And why? They weren't Christians. They were sinners. And my dad didn't get saved until his early to mid-40s. And so I'm a teenager by then. And I've kind of developed an, a, a mindset of my own by then. Right? But my dad gets born again and says no more. And my mom and dad are divorced, and I only get to see him every other weekend. But starting the moment he got born again, that weekend, I'm in church, baby. Yeah. And so he began. Now, so because of those habits and the way I was raised up to that point, it took a little while for, those, for the power of the Word to, to, to grab hold and to have its way in Ben and I, my brother. But it did. But see, in my child experience, I know what yelling and screaming is. 
I know what parents saying they don't love each other. I know what that feels like. I know what that looks like. I know what abuse is. I know what uh, a, a former stepdad who's violent and whacked out, kicking down a solid door on a deadbolt in one move. I know what it's like to almost be choked to death, to hide in a, uh, a, uh, a bathroom with a steak knife. I'm supposed to defend me and my little brother from a, a grunt Marine who is, you know, like SEAL trained. What am I supposed to do? I know what all that rigmarole is like. I know what pornography is. I know what sexual sin is. I know what alcohol is. I know all of that. But thank God, I don't know it today and I hadn't known it for many years because I am born again. Hallelujah. I am saved. I have been washed in the blood. Amen. I'm wearing a robe of righteousness. I didn't earn it. He put it on me. Hallelujah. Oh, and I'm so glad, right? But see, now I go along and, and God joins me to, to, to a young lady who was born saved. Yeah, she, she, she came out praying in tongues. Hallelujah. And, uh, and, but I, you know, and I'm working, I'm renewing my mind, I'm growing, I'm getting my call. But now, uh, here comes, uh, oh my, 2001, we have our first child. 2005, we have another one. 2013, we have our last one. And you look at, now we're two generations. My dad, generation number one. Second generation's me. Look at this generation. They don't know any of what I just relayed to you. That is, they're sitting there today, I'm sure, that is foreign matter to them. They've never heard yelling, they've never heard screaming. All they know is love, all they know is a home of peace, for the most part, right? Amen. All they know is blessing, all they know is laying hands on the sick and then being healed. All they know is the local church, all they know is righteousness, all they know is God is good, all they know is the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's all they know. And thank God. Praise God. And see, now there's something different being transmitted. There's something different being transmitted. And the more I go, the longer I live, the more I see that the greatest call of God on my life is probably not preaching to you or anyone. It's in raising them up to love and serve God. To raise these children up. To carry on what God began in me. And to keep it moving forward. And if God continues to tarry His coming, that they have a lot of spiritual grandkids come up after them that run and write and run their race for God. Every life, that means you, every life becomes a legacy eventually. Every single one of you. Amen. What kind of legacy are you building? If your story, if it ended today, what would, in that unseen, un, you know, that spirit, what, what have you put in others that they're going to be able to carry forward? It's quiet. And that's okay. And this is not about condemnation and beating yourself up and saying, oh, woe is me in my whole life. Listen, you know, I'm sure there were some good things and good days. There were some good things about my life before I got saved. Right? And there were some good things, no doubt, in my dad's life before he got saved. Praise God. But that which is wrong can be cast into God's sea of forgetfulness. And let me, let me turn this coin over again. 
If you've been greatly hindered in your life by the legacy you received, don't stay in that. Throw it off. Throw it off. Because, you know, there's this natural element, kind of what we've been focused on, that we get through our natural genealogy, our moms and our dads and our family experiences, but God would put us all into a spiritual family. Right? So I'm not only thinking about the legacy that my dad gave me when he got born again, that I'm trying to run with in my life. See, everyone has either run their race, they are running, or they are preparing to hand that baton off. And you just got to know what kind of season you're in. And right now, I'm running with the baton. I'm trying to run hard and fast, Mom and I. Amen. But I'm, I've got that day out there in view that one day, cop, praise God, I'm going to hand this thing. Yeah, and it's going to be on you then. <laughs> you know, in my home, maybe it's a fault. I haven't been real strong in my home about, go in your room and pray. That's just not been me. If you know anything about me, I like to lead by example. If you're not watching, not paying attention, you're not going to get it. And that's on you, not me. I just try to live my life the way I'm supposed to. And yeah, I'll give some instruction. Amen. But one day's going to come. If, if anything's going to get done in prayer, she's going to have to pray. I won't be here to do it. And if anybody's going to continue to get healed through the laying on of hands, it's going to have to be through their hands. My hands won't be here anymore. Dr. Dufresne, my spiritual dad, he's, he's not here anymore. And I tell you something, I... Never, looking back now, I don't regret a single dollar of the tens of thousands of dollars I spent to fly around the world to get in a hotel to be where He could put His hands on me. Or speak to me. Or mentor me. Or spank me. Or correct me. Because I have things in me. I have things in me. Amen. That, do, that God put in me through Dr. Dufresne. You know, this is a spiritual principle. I don't I'm Looking at the clock here. Uh, you know, Paul told Timothy, stir up, stir up the gift of God. Stir up the gift of God that is in you, right? Through the putting on of my hands. Now, God gave him that gift, but how did he get it? Through the putting on of that man of God's hands. You're never going to regret, amen, coming to church. You're never going to regret the sacrifices you might make to get your family to church. You should never put soccer or ballet or any of that stuff above the local church because that little ribbon and that little trophy they're going to get if they get one is not going to deliver them when they're on drugs. Hallelujah. Lester Summerall said this. He said, if you don't leave a successor, you're a failure. If you don't leave a successor, you're a failure. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Let's, let's maybe close over here in 2 Kings chapter 20. I know Reverend Kamal, he's excited to hear me say Kings. He preaches a lot out of Kings. 2 Kings. Y'all okay? You got, can you give me just a minute more? I am trying to help you. You know, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, that one day there's going to be a day come where both the small and the great will stand before God. And books will be opened. Now, the most important book is that book of life. 
But a lot of believers, they don't know that there are other books. There are other books. Now, the book of life, you want your name in that book. Otherwise, you're going to be lost. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell forever. How do you get your name in that book? Say, Jesus, be my Lord. Hallelujah. And then live for him for real. It's not that hard. Just receive Jesus as Lord. Say it with your mouth. Believe that God raised him from the dead. You're going to be like I was. You're going to be born again. But then you've got to live for him. Don't go out in the world and then forget all about it. Praise God. Amen. I don't know where I was headed with that, but hallelujah. 2 Kings 20, let's read verse 16 through 19. Behold, the days come. No, okay, back up to verse 16, I'm sorry. Isaiah the prophet, he comes to a king named Hezekiah, and we read about him. He was in that lineage, right? And Isaiah said unto Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days come. So he's talking about a day that's future, right? The days come that all that is in your house, talking about his family line, and that which your fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. He's talking about a future day, right? But this is not a good word. No. That everything that came before, the victories, the treasures, the temples, the, all of it, the people... They're all going to be forsaken and carried away captive into Babylon. Are you all with me? And of your sons that shall issue from you or come from your loins, if I could say that, which you shall beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then said Hezekiah unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord. That ought to make you scratch your head. Good is... That's basically saying, you know, Chris, there's a day coming, saith the Lord, where everything you did and everything you built and all your kids and all your grandkids are going to be slaves in a foreign land. And I go, praise God! Now let's keep reading here. Why did he say, good is the word of the Lord? Then Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, Good is the word of the Lord which you have spoken. And he said, Is it not good if peace and truth shall be in my days? Why did he say the word of the Lord was good? Because God didn't say anything bad was going to happen to him. That he was going to live out his life in relative peace and relative prosperity. And he called it good. Now there's something wrong with that. There's something really wrong. Can you tell me what it is? House, you can't be more selfish than that. To just forsake. To abandon your lineage into bondage. Because of your compromise in your life. Hezekiah lived a season of compromise. He was compromised. His dedication to God wasn't what it should have been. Amen. His trust in God was not what it should have been. And God said, you know, the effect of it's not going to show up in your lifetime. And he goes, oh, good. But it will show up in your kids' lives. And it will show up in your grandkids' lives so much so that they will grow up a slave and serve a pagan king. He called it good. Now, I'm not content with that. I am not. It shall not be if it were up to me. Amen? 
Now I'll close with just one more thought here. You could go back over to Judges chapter 6, not right now, and, and go read. And it says, you know, Joshua was the recipient of a baton, of an assignment that Moses gave him, that God gave him through Moses, right? And, and Joshua's job was to continue to take that new generation of Israelites out of the wilderness, get them into the promised land, fight those battles, and give them their land's inheritance. That was his life's assignment. It was Moses' assignment, but he didn't get it done. Are you listening, boy? You're supposed to get done what I don't get done. So you better root for me and help me all while I'm here. Right, Faith? Because what I don't get done, you and Ryan and Rex have to get done. You know, I showed up in here in 2001 as a pastor of this church, and I met both the previous pastors, they're friends of mine. And they said, you know what, God both, I heard this from both men. God told me to build that building. He told me to do what you did. And I said, why didn't you do it? You sure would have saved me a lot of trouble. But I had to come along and do what you didn't do. <laughs> so Joshua did it with God's help. He succeeded where Moses failed. All right? So that's another thing about this generational thing. When God's having His way, when God's having His way, the generation after us ought to do more for God than the one that came before. Now listen, it's not all up to me. It's not all up to me as parents. My job's to train them. And if my children decide to get up and go live for the world, it won't be my fault. Because I lived it. Mom and I, we lived it. We taught it. We experienced it. We instructed it. If they throw it off, that's on them. That won't be on me and it wouldn't be on you as a parent. If you've made mistakes as a parent, what should you do? Just tell God you're sorry. Just ask God to forgive you. Because He longs to it, He will. And from that moment when you humble yourself, He will begin to do mighty works for you. But Joshua, this is what I'm closing with. See, I'm closing my Bibles. Y'all take heart. <laughs> Joshua came to the end. In Joshua chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, it says that Joshua and that whole generation passed on. And another generation arose, listen, that did not know the Lord. It says they did not know the Lord. The next thing it says about them is they forsook the Lord. You will not serve a God you don't know. And it's the generation that comes before you that's supposed to introduce you to God. They forsook the Lord. They committed sins against the Lord. Several things in that little passage, you could write them down, underline them like I did. They forsook, and then this, and then the last thing. So tragic. The last thing that it says about that generation is they could not stand before their enemies. That I don't want my grandkids someday to not be able to stand before the enemy of sickness and Satan and darkness and deception and demons and dangers and lack because I didn't sufficiently pass a legacy of faith onto them that would make them strong. Amen. And I think there's guilt on both sides. Joshua and that generation bear some responsibility because they did not raise up successors. But what I also have come to see is where were the young people 
Where were the young people in jo- coming up under Joshua that showed any interest in getting what he had? You know, when Joshua was a young man, you can read about him in Exodus, he stuck like, he stuck like glue to Moses. And when Moses left meeting God at the temple, at the tent, he stayed there. But he went wherever. He, that young man wanted what Moses had. And he got it. And what you don't see in Judges is a young man pursuing an old man. Saying, I want what you have. I want what you have. And young people, you bear a responsibility. Even, I don't care what your mom and dads are doing or not doing. You're your own person. I'm my own person. You're your own person. Noah, you're your own person. I'm not picking on him because I know so. I'm just saying, Noah, you're your own person. Amen? And we can throw off everything that's hindered us, right? And decide, as Joshua said, as for me. I can't tell what you're going to do, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want you to stand to your feet today and make a decision. If you're the head of a house, if you're a a wife and you, you, right, come on. As for you, you're not responsible for anybody else. Come on, if you're bold enough to say it, why don't you make that declaration over your family? Okay, maybe you ought to try that two or three more times. Amen, until you get to where you mean it. Come on. Do it again. One more time, I'm going to join you. As for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Now, are you prepared for that to cost you a little something, a little inconvenience? What if the Supreme Court makes it illegal? I'm telling you, God is my witness as He helps me as God, right? Me and my house are going to serve God. Amen. Amen. If they do like Canada did and say it's illegal to say homosexuality is a sin, I'm going to stand in front of a camera, I'm going to broadcast it out, and I'm going to say homosexuality is a sin, sure enough, you better stop it. God loves you, better repent. And if they put me in jail, I hope you give me a special offer and post my bail. Don't take it as an opportunity to get a more PC pastor. Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of that? Just a little bit of a conversation. Amen. You know, God loves us very much and we are his people. We're going to go out there and we're going to interact with somebody on some level. You've got to think about what is your lack of a tip going to transmit to that waitress about your faith, about the God you say you serve. Think about that the next time you're tempted to open a magazine, look at something you're not supposed to. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, we bow our heads before.